Welcome to the Good Data Podcast. I'm your host, Drew Farnsworth. Today on the program, we have Owen Osborne, CEO of Critter and Guitari. Owen founded the company with Chris Kaczynski in 2007, and they've been building avant-garde musical instruments ever since. Their creations have been used by Taylor Swift, Bon Iver, The Flaming Lips, Magnetic Fields, and OK Go, and uh, dozens of others. They have a collaboration with Jack White and Third Man Records to produce custom synths and amplifiers. They're known for allowing just about anybody to create music just by pressing a few buttons because they have devised algorithms that will build music with very little input from the user. I feel very lucky to have sat down with Owen. Before we get into our interview, I'd like to give you a quick sample of a major label song that used the pocket piano on one of his devices. This is End Love by OK Go. You'll be able to hear in the background this bleeping arpeggiation. That's the pocket piano. Before we really got into the interview, I sat down with Owen and played around with some of their newest instruments, uh, one called the Organelle, which is literally a Linux computer inside a piano. The way I like to do it is you can actually plug an HDMI monitor into the Organelle. Oh, yeah. And do it that way. That's just a synthesizer. He just presses a couple of buttons, and suddenly an algorithm generates, literally generates a song. And then Owen changes the program, and suddenly he's made the organelle into a drum machine that very quickly sequences some beats. And then you can put things on like every seven beats. Yeah. And then like... So how often do you just kind of sit and make noises? I get into phases where I do it all day long, but then <laughs> I don't do it for a while. Every once in a while, Owen would interject some musical knowledge and mix it in with some computer science. So this is, a, I mean, this is one of a, one of the classic patches that you know, and it's a good example of something that would be hard to do. Like an AI wouldn't generate this easily. And in a few minutes, we had this complicated rhythm that feels like it would be at home at an EDM show. You're going to hear a lot about the mad science that goes into these instruments and. The biggest reason that I wanted Owen to be on this show specifically is that he is such a proponent of open source software and hardware. His source code is available online, and a lot of his hardware designs are available too. And that's such a contrast to most of the companies that I'm used to working with. Most of us want to control our data and keep this tight grip on everything. In this episode, I'd like to show the bohemian side of data and how that sharing really opens up so much creativity and opportunity. Let's go. on the show. <laughs> I know this is kind of part of our what is data series about like what actually is going on inside of 
hard drives and computation that, that is actually important. So cool. I wanted to talk to you because you have some of like the funkiest designs for synthesizers and things like that that I've ever seen. So Critter and Guitari is a company that you started 10 years ago. That's about right. Yeah. Yeah. That you make synthesizers and other sound and video products that have to do with music. Uh-huh. And you've sold them over the years to you. You had a deal with Jack White and they've been sold to Taylor Swift and like Bon Iver. And I think the Flaming Lips have all used this, sure, this yeah. stuff. Yeah. And then the reason I think it's such a big deal is because there's kind of an algorithmic component to the music production, right? Yeah. It's like you you have uh, arpeggiators and things like that that kind of make music without having to really do anything. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So how did you learn how to do that? Like you started at Skidmore, right? Working and learning about music production or, or electronic yeah, music. Yeah, electronic music. And um, I was studying physics at the time and music at the same time. And most early on, it was just building instruments, you know, that made sound. So I was interested in the physical mechanics of an instrument and how it could be altered or designed in a right. way to produce such and such a sound. Well, Mostly you, making like traditional instruments like guitars yeah. and banjos. and Right, because you, you made a banjo out of a cigar box and things like that. Yeah, exactly. Cigar box banjos and these kinds of things. I don't know if they're the most scientific things, but I'd always been interested in electronics. In fact, I, I before I got into building acoustic instruments, I'd, I'd been really into electronics when I was pretty young and wiring things up and taking things apart. And then it wasn't until later where I started to get back into electronics. And I realized that electronics was really the way to go if you're trying to build an instrument that can do so much more musically than maybe you you yourself are capable of and it might have it might have been after years of trying to learn an instrument and kind of being frustrated at getting good at music and playing music myself that you know i went back and said oh well maybe we could design some circuits that did some of this for us and then we would wouldn't have to Right. Learn so much of it. Well, so that one of your early projects that I know about, not that I know everything about, but you made music generation system that had to do with cellular automata and like Conway's game of life kind of thing. Yeah. Is that right? So first, <laughs> what is what is Conway's game of life and, and what are cellular automata and how does that possibly get you into making music? Because it's like crazy to me that you put those two things together and it like became something yeah it was when i started using computers more you know which is really just an extension of electronics on a bigger scale yeah being able to compute things that i realized there's all these possibilities for linking crazy algorithms and programs and ideas like the conway's game of life into music and you can do it pretty easily yeah so for instance with the cellular automata stuff you know it's this fairly simple idea where you have these cells that live or die based on sets of conditions and you start off with an initial set of conditions and then you apply these rules that govern whether or not cells live or die based on 
the cells near, nearby them and whether or not they're alive or dead. Right. So it's sort of an ecological kind of idea, you know. You can right. imagine a population of organisms kind of, if there are a lot of them all in, concentrated in one area, they're going to use up all the res, all the resources and start and to die, die out. Yeah. So the idea with the cellular automata is you have these kinds of behaviors emerging from these very simple sets of rules. Right. And And Conway, way back in the day, he just put that into popular science or something and as an idea of like, oh, actually really interesting behaviors can come out of really simple rules. Yeah, right? he invented the the game of life, which is essentially just a set of rules. Yeah. So if you just look at the cell, a two-dimensional cellular automaton, it's really just a chessboard, this grid. It can extend for as long as you want, but it's, it's just this grid of cells. And then you make up this set of rules that dictates whether a cell will live or die based on the cells around it. So yeah. I can't remember what the game of life rules are precisely, but it's something like if three or more cells surrounding the, so you, you, you pick a, pick a cell. Well, you actually go in order. You do right. this to all the cells, but starting with the first one, you say, if there are three or more cells that are alive, I'm dead. If there's one or more cells alive, then I stay alive, and this kind of thing. Yeah, and then so if there's like two, then it doubles or something. Like it becomes, or if there's if two, it empty. becomes. If it's dead, it becomes alive. Right. I mean, it right. can only be alive or dead. This right. is the, the simplicity of it. So the rules are, you know, if there's so many surround, and there's only eight surrounding each cell right. on a two D grid. You know, each square has eight surrounding cells. Right. So it's really just three, two or three rules options. Yeah. Yeah. And if you pick those rules right, those numbers, um, you can end up with these different scenarios. And the, and the, the Conway's one is really interesting because if you start out with kind of a random live and dead state and then you start running these rules, you see these crazy formations form and yeah. these really beautiful patterns that happen all over the board. And actually, it's uh, I think it was... The Conway's game of life was proven to be Turing complete, which means that you can actually inside of this cellular universe that's running these rules, you could actually build a machine that will execute any arbitrary instruction. Right. Like if you had a complicated enough one, you could run Linux or something. <laughs> it would be, yeah, it would be you, ridiculous to try and do that, but it would be possible. No, and there's actually people that have done this, these simulations, because when Conway invented this, he could only do it by hand. Yeah. Or maybe he had rudimentary computers and you could do a few cells, you know, 64 cells yeah. at a time or something. But you can go on YouTube and look up Game of Life Insanity or right. whatever. Just type in Game of Life Conway and you can have the, you see these amazing images of um, these machines that people have built with the Conway's Game of Life. So the, the idea is if certain patterns of cells will form into these mechanisms that actually do things. So one is like this mechanism called a glider which is it's sort of one cell and then diagonally there's an, there's one cell alive and then that, on its diagonal there's another cell that's alive and then on its diagonal and the three cells next to it you have these three these three more cells that are alive so you have this little shape mm -hmm. but it turns out when you iterate that apply the rules to this shape it has the behavior of moving right so it actually flies along the board 
and you can fly this glider into things and destroy them. Right. But then you can actually build this mechanism called Gosper's glider gun. And this was invented by another mathematician, Gosper, which is a this sort of weird combination of cells that are in this state. And they pulsate back and forth when you run the rules and they spit out these gliders. Yeah. So you can build up a machine that's spitting out these gliders and then these gliders are flying into things and actually doing things. Right. So it's it's pretty funny because the machine is a totally visual machine and you can look on YouTube this it one person made it trippy. A, like so it's very <laughs> trippy. Yeah. This touring machine where it's it's literally thousands of these little gliders and they're flying around and pulling things out, pulling instructions out of the machine and executing yeah. them. And it's uh, so, yeah, you can simulate any other software with this, but right. I mean, it, it yeah, would be the, hard to do. Right. The gliders kind of like can go on infinite and then there's all these different patterns. Like there's little explosions that'll just be a starburst infinitely. And then other things that like, if it interacts with a starburst, it'll create something else. And how does that turn into music? <laughs> Cause that's, that's, you know, I mean, it's, it, it, this is such a complicated framework. And then to take that and take the data out of it and make something that, is actually musical is kind of interesting. Yeah, I think it. I think it, it really grabbed us originally the uh, cellular automata. Because so of us this, is is you and Chris. Chris, yeah. yeah, I remember discovering Chris is the the um, kind of other half of Critter and Guitari, and you know we'd been doing this instrument building together for a while. Yeah, and went on this kind of cellular went deep on the kind of cellular automata stuff together, and I think what really grabbed us was the visual. Yeah. Nature of it. You know, there's all kinds of interesting things, algorithms to apply to music. You know, a lot of them aren't visual, right. even the kind of machine learning type of stuff, AI type of stuff that I've been more interested in, in these days. It's not necessarily visual. You know, it's a lot of numbers and, and, and equations and kind of uh, lines of code and stuff. But the, the cellular automata is just immediately from such a simple equation, a simple set of rules, you immediately have this amazing visual right. world so to create music out of it it's kind of gets to another part of what's interesting in our the kind of world of critter and guitar which is the question of what you know a sound looks like or what yeah a picture sounds like and there's really no right answer to that and it's really fun to come up with little mappings of our own so something like a cellular automata it's actually pretty easy because you have these cells on a board and you look at a piano or most other instruments and you have keys that yeah. play certain notes. So the obvious thing is just to have the cells instead of lighting up on the screen, they're just turning notes on and right. off. And that works to a degree, but you know. Is that interesting enough? Is that is interesting enough? And a lot of the instruments that we make actually kind of combine the idea of this cellular automata or any other algorithm, yeah. combine that with another input from the human. So you might sort of pick a group of notes and then the cellular automaton is responsible for sequencing those notes. Right. So you're kind of might be in control of the melody or a progression of um, harmony, but it will be building up, you know, a complexity behind that. Right. That you don't have to you don't have to worry about. So that's right. that's a a, a, uh, a go-to for us, you know, combining this kind of um, input, the human input, and it's sort of making a hybrid instrument, which right. is really what I was talking about in the beginning, you know, having the computer do something that you don't have to practice, you know, you don't have to practice right. our, our, some uh, counterpoint or arpeggios or anything. You just hold your hands down and let the... <laughs> 
computer choose all those notes. Well, but you know, you still are making music and you can add layers on top of that, but then you can just start with that kind of arpeggio that is interesting in itself and then you can build. Yeah, exactly. I remember when I first ever talked to you about this stuff, you had the pocket piano, which is probably... I don't know, the dimensions are like maybe it's four like inches foot, by a yeah, foot. Yeah, four, a foot long, four inch, three or four inches wide. And it has these awesome wooden keys that are very tactile and just are, are fun to push and have a real distinct look about them. Mm-hmm. And you started out making kits that people could build at home with the pocket piano. And then it had all this functionality that you built on top of that. So I want to even go back farther than that because you said something that was really interesting where you were talking about making images into music. So you were part of this thing called Dear Raindrop that was this artist collective that was really funky and out there. (laughs) At one point, like you had this installation that was a sphinx and taking images and turning it into music and then turning the music back into images. And what was Dear Raindrop and when did that start? Yeah, that was this artist collective that was around probably you know since the late 1990s or even before before I was introduced to them and these were friends of Chris Kaczynski who's I work at Critter Guitar with now and they were really into mixed media immersive artwork and it was really attractive to me because they had no distinction between making things out of sound or making things out of sculpture or any materials you know right. it all just flowed together into this one kind of mess right which was really exciting to be a part of when i started working with them because we could just make these machines that would just operate in this zone that was between visual art and music and performance art and video art and all and kind of this intersection you know which would be things that would eventually become sort of critter and guitar instruments started out as these installation pieces yeah, you know that we would hang on the wall in a gallery, and people could come up and play with them. And we had, from the beginning, we had these instruments that would synthesize sound from images and things like these little color sensors that you could hold up to the artwork, and it would make sounds. You know, yeah, and it had embedded in it this mapping of the sound, what the colors should sound like, right. and those kind of things. And this was all part of wrapped up into the kind of single experience. So it could be something really simple like blue is 440 hertz, or it could be something like blue is drum machine and red. Yeah, is, exactly, know, exactly. Like that. That's something we experimented with a lot. Yeah, and it really became you know that mapping became this like medium of itself. You know, we right. realized in the beginning I was always trying to figure out the perfect mapping from color to sound, but then I realized that was really the the kind of palette or that was the canvas. Yeah, on which you were kind of making this <laughs> this artwork. It was like, right. how does the color sound? Like, there's not really a right answer to this. <laughs> you know, it's a, it's really up to um up to us for, to figure out. So yeah, we I remember I have a couple ones that were actually the colors were directly controlling frequencies, like you mentioned. Yeah, and then some other ones where we would just play samples into them, and they and they would spit out the samples. So the sound was coming from the the visuals but it wasn't really a direct relationship but it didn't really matter because yeah. we made the relationship if you have three sensors one for each color like rgb you could make one do something the other do something that or you could have like almost like a whole camera where it's like each individual pixel of the camera would be doing stuff there's so many different options right there's so many different it. options yeah a lot of the stuff we were doing earlier was just like the single pixel you know the, yeah. the, the, just the red green blue value but it was funny because we went up one time for this show in winnipeg we were getting interviewed 
interviewed on the national radio or something over there. And we had told the guy like, oh, yeah, we, you know, we have these color sensors to come by, you know, check out these color sensors. And he's, he's like, oh, I'll do a picture, you know, we'll scan my picture and see what it sounds like. <laughs> so we came by and scanned his picture and it made all these crazy noises. But the kind of joke was, for me at least, it wasn't even, the, the sensor itself was broken. It wasn't even working. So it was just like, it wasn't even using the color values. It might've just been using the, maybe a little bit of an intensity value. Uh It would be like just squinting through like if you were just totally drunk and like (laughs) looking into your beer class. Right. Through the the world. Like that's all you could see. This is about how well the color sensor was working. So he was, I felt a little bit disappointed that it it wasn't more um, accurate or something. But at the same time, I mean, that is what it is. Yeah. I mean, what can you do? Color (laughs) sensor. Today's episode is brought to you by Green Lane Design. Green Lane has been designing, engineering, and building critical facilities for over 10 years, from small server rooms to major data centers for Fortune 100 companies. GLD is also expert at computational fluid dynamics simulation. Mouthful. Uh, that's computer simulations of airflow and data centers. If you would be interested, go to greenlanedesign.com. Click on contact and mention the podcast. Yeah, I mean that's. Part of, I mean it's funny because you're kind of like in manufacturing too, so you have to do all this artistic and electrical engineering kind of work, but also you have to make sure that it lasts and works all the time. And when you're doing an artistic installation or something, you're basically soldering things together, and you know now you've moved on from that, and you're actually like doing manufacturing in China and things like that. But at the time, you like had your soldering iron for the actual installation, which must have been. A nightmare sometimes. <laughs> yeah, it was sort of always a nightmare, but yeah. it was it was the you know it was what had to be done. I guess it was the tools of the trade. Yeah, but it's it's not unlike what I'm doing now. I mean, I'm just looking at my desk right now, which is a total kind of mess of that's true wires and soldering iron, which I've been using. It, it's it's maybe more segmented or something. The work now where yeah, I have to get out and solder you know constantly. So I see, Even if I'm just fixing something, yeah. I'm not making something. I'm just trying to get something to work. But tr- it's a little different because I'm trying to get it to work in such a way that we can just call it good and then produce you know, hundreds or thousands of them and right. they'll all be working and continue working. So, so you have a half dozen just regular circuit boards that are Critter and Guitari made. And then you have another half dozen Raspberry Pi boards. And then you have maybe another rapid prototyping board and... Yeah. You got a lot of stuff. It's sort of a mix. <laughs> yeah. And then like a random mixer. It's very much like Mad Scientist. Okay, we got we got all these parts and they're all going to work together. And it's not exactly organized, but you know that there's some kind of order to it. It's very cool. We skipped over grad school. You went to Dartmouth for this specific program that was about music. Oh, yeah. It's a really cool little program. Yeah. And it's sort of a funny program because there's only six students there. And it's uh, also at Dartmouth College, which is a a pretty standard more traditional school in terms yeah. of all the departments i mean it's you know still a regular college but it, it it wouldn't be the place you would expect this weird electronic music program to right. be and it's a, it was a small little program that's pretty unknown and they have this little house that's sort of behind a, a couple of the dorm buildings there called hall garden hall and it was just filled with weird sounds and people making weird sounds and uh, it's really great and you go there and you just hang out and kind of work on um, 
sounds. Work on sounds. When I think of what you do a lot of the time and what I've seen you do, it's a lot of it is not even so much when I'm watching you making music. It's about like screwing up knobs and, and making weird sounds. And then eventually that turns into music. These days, electronic music, a lot of it is made out of patches and things that aren't straight up instruments. They're some kind of weird oscillator that goes into another feedback loop that then turns into a cool instrument somehow. So that's kind of the cool thing about seeing your work is that it's not straightforward. It's not like, boom, here we are at music. It's like seeing the very core underpinning of all that. It makes me think of when I was first talking to you and, and like years and years ago about music, you would kind of take me down rabbit holes of the math and stuff behind, <laughs> like all the way down to like talking about the Fourier transform and like the basic, basic math of it. So I felt like I learned a lot from you <laughs> about that kind of stuff. Can you just talk about how you take something like a sawtooth wave pattern and turn it into music? Well, it'd be hard to answer that question in full because I feel like on one hand, you know, I'm making music, but on the other hand, it's not really ending up in a kind of any kind of packaged form. These days, I think mo mostly it's, it's, that are making sounds or something for other people to assemble into yeah. into music in terms of the music that we normally think of as right. songs and and kind of pieces but I, there's kind of there's there's you know when you go deep like you mentioned there's this self you know similar nature about music just as yeah. anything in nature and you know the sounds themselves have this internal structure that's very similar to the structure of a whole song or whatever. So right. I don't know. Maybe they're maybe they're sort of the same. But anyway, it would, it, it would be a stretch for me to say I'm kind of like a composer or something. Yeah. You know? But even even just like making the sounds, like I remember one time I saw like the source code that you were working on, and it just said A equals 440 or something like that. So you were you had to go when when you first started you were going down to that like specific level of like the actual hertz of a given note and programming that in and then building on top of it. Oh sure, yeah. Yeah. So and now you have like these incredibly complex patches that work through a Linux computer that's embedded into the circuit board and it's gone leaps and bounds since that original time. But, yeah, like, it has in a way, but it also is it's very much stayed true to that same kind of thing you know but a lot of the technology we're looking at here this these kind of instruments that are running that have these embedded computers these ones happen to be running a, a computer music env environment called pd or, or pure data and this is the program you start up and it's just a blank canvas and it usually starts out with you know oscillator 440 or yeah. some, something similar yeah. you know so really everything is built on this on this core kind of low level building blocks these these oscillators and and sample tables and these yeah. kinds of things. The difference now I guess is that you can still inside the same machine you you can copy and paste these oscillators so you can have hundreds of them or you know thousands of samples at once. And that's where it really starts to get interesting where you can build up these these new functions that do all kinds of cool and crazy stuff. That's the organelle, right? That's what the... This is the organelle, yeah. yeah. And that's actually kind of crazy because it is a full-fledged embedded Linux computer that is also a little piano and a synthesizer and a sequencer, and you can do just about whatever you want it with it, but it is all encased in this three-inch by one-foot little box, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's very cool. And it, you know, you can understand why people would get excited about it because you can 
have this very portable thing that can do just about anything. Is that something that you knew would be valuable or is it just something that you fell into because you started at that pocket piano and kept building stuff until it became the organelle? No, it was something I'd kind of always wanted, you know? Yeah. Because I used to do this when I'd started getting into electronics and then getting into computers, I was making a lot of music actually using these same software tools 10 or 15 even years ago. And it was frustrating at the time because I wanted to be able to embed these things into a physical instrument instead of having them kind of detached in this detached zone of programming on uh, on your desktop or whatever. So it was something that, you know, I'd always wanted to be able to do and it, it, it took a while for the to be able to do it, to have the, the technology shrink enough so that you right. could just put it inside of a little wooden box and have it do all this stuff. But it was kind of a dream, you know, for a long time to be able to have this instrument that could be repurposed and could evolve into something, you know, that was different and, yeah. and different for depending on who's playing it and who wants to use it. Not only... Is it a cool idea? But also the implementation of it is really cool because there's a little screen on it that is very simple. It's, it's like maybe a, a five-line interface where there's mostly text. Mm -hmm. It's almost not taking you out of that feeling that it's still an instrument. It's not a computer. Yeah. And I think actually a lot of that did come evolve from the pocket piano. So it's yeah. not entirely, you know, it wasn't like 15 years ago I set out to make a an organelle. Yeah. I think, you know, the pocket piano was sort of a, uh, I'd gotten frustrated with the computer and, and just started programming these little um, smaller circuitry that would make up the pocket piano and all the mm -hmm. other instruments we'd made since then. So it was sort of a combination of, it's, it really was more, now that you mentioned that, a more of a combination of the, the kind of where the pocket piano took the instruments and then also, you know, ha wanting to make something that was, you know, repurposable, reprogrammable yeah. because the organelle is very similar to the pocket piano. It takes what's strong about the pocket piano, which is the simplicity of the controls. There's not that many of them. Yeah. It looks the same too. I it mean, looks the same too. Maybe like four, what do you call them, dials? Uh, yeah, not, not knobs. Knobs. Yeah, <laughs> probably knobs. <laughs> if you didn't see the little screen, you would think it was the same Right, thing. right, right. So you have like a real specific aesthetic. Like ever since the Dear Raindrop had this very funky, very bright colored rainbow patterns on everything. And it feels like you actually pulled a lot of that through the whole time. Like you've, you've kept a lot of that, but you've updated the pieces behind it. And now you have like these anodized aluminum fronts and then like a wooden back. So the wooden back is there. Why, why did you keep the wooden piece of it? Like what was the, the reasoning behind not updating the whole thing to metal? Right. Yeah. On, on some of the instruments, we actually have updated, you know, the parts and they're continuing to kind of evolve. And the wood buttons have been there the whole time as, you know, the parts that are particularly uh, fun and fun to look at and, you know, inviting, I've, I've often used as the word that when you when you look at this object, you're like, oh, I want to play around with it. Yeah. Instead of just looking at it and say, oh, that's a, you know, toy piano or whatever. Right. Which it is, but this is a cool looking one with these wood buttons, so we better see what this thing does. So in a way, it's a challenge because often I'm like, oh, I'm going to just go do something a little bit different or totally different. But you end up falling back on, you know, these these uh, little riffs or whatever design yeah. tidbits like the wood buttons that, that just work really well. It doesn't look like anything else that is out there in the market. Like there's a way in which it looks more 
organic. It's like this, like almost everything you're talking about is this fusion of like the organic stuff and the computer stuff and the electronic stuff. And so that, that wooden button really, to me, seems to like pull that back. Instruments were made out of wood, most, most, yeah, mostly all of them. <laughs> Why the, what, you had the wood for a while to kind of create a better resonator. Was that true for a while or was that, uh, yeah. The collider loops have, were entirely wood for a while. Yeah. And I mean, it does sound great. You can just bolt a speaker onto like a wood thing. And it's, yeah. It's, it's going to always sound great where it might not be the case with plastic or metal. Right. It'll sound cool in its own way, but the wood is definitely gives it, has a nice resonance to it. Yeah. So it, it is hard though to make a lot of things out of wood because it's slow to work with. Right. Yeah, I mean it's it's harder to manufacture and it's more expensive, and so it brings us to manufacturing. So you got started in this, I, in a very like technical sort of like you know designing your own circuit boards in Eagle and actually soldering things yourself and and doing everything kind of yourself, and now you're at the point where you're really manufacturing things, and now you become like this company that is in a lot of ways, just as much a manufacturing company as a design company. Mm -hmm. So what's that change been like business-wise? Is that a big difference? It hasn't been, it's never been an abrupt kind of change. And we're still, we still do things and build things very much the same way as we did when we just started out. It's just that we've taken one by one the things we used to do ourselves and kind of outsourced them to other businesses who do that more professionally so it begin. you know the first pocket pianos were made entirely by hand yeah the circuit boards we had made because those are hard to make by hand yeah <laughs> yeah um, you're not you're not getting like photo like resist yeah and, yeah yeah printing circuit boards so those were always pretty affordable easy to get even yeah. in small quantities when we were starting so we would get the circuit boards but then we'd solder everything on all pieces on by hand and then we would glue up the wood backs by hand we would finish the wood the wood buttons we always we had found early on someone to turn them on a they had built a, a tool to do it on a lathe but the first ones a couple runs we had to you know paint them ourselves yeah. and then one by one you know it's like oh we could have them paint them then we right. don't have to and then we could have someone else assemble the circuit boards and then we don't have to do that and then eventually like they could also just buy the circuit boards and well, the parts for us, so we don't even have to touch any of that. Right. But we still we still do that that final step of putting everything together and testing it ourselves. So in a lot of ways, it's it's very much the same as it was. You know, it's one by one, making it easier. But it's not like we've taken the step, which would be a, a totally different step of having them made somewhere else where we didn't even see them. You know. Yeah. So we're still very much like one of us. I mean, there's a few people now who work uh, putting these together, but yeah. someone in the business has touched every single key on every single instrument to make sure it's work. That keeps the connection. Instead of having everything just in China being being created, you actually still have that personal bodily connection where you can touch everything. For some reason, you were in Vice magazine there was like a music section of Vice Magazine. Oh, right. And they called you artisanal. Like you're an artisanal synthesizer maker. Right. I thought that was interesting. Like because it was handmade stuff and because it was not exactly mass market. 
that somehow that was different. Is that something you intended to do? Or was that just kind of like, yeah, well, that's just how we do it. Yeah, I guess that's just, yeah. I didn't start out, you know, <laughs> I want an artisanal business. Yeah, it's not like you're not making cupcakes. Anything. Yeah, artis- I, they, I guess it is artisanal. Artisanal <laughs> is sort of handmade, small batch. <laughs> kind of. Boutique, that's the other word people use. Yeah, there's definitely a handmade vibe, even if it's not soldering by hand in the, yeah. in the studio. I think a lot of it has just come from the what. You know, we've never thought about, you know, do we want it to be a boutique or an artisanal or, yeah. or what have you. We just make the things and then they come so out this, like this. This is what the other thing about your business that, that kind of floors me is that you, it never really seemed like you did any advertising, the videos that you would put out. You had some animations that were put out before you actually put out the Bolsa base that sure. were so funky and weird and <laughs> just kind of trippy and wild colors. And... I was wondering if something that you really thought about how you would market things or how you would put them out there in the world. Yeah, I think it it was mostly we just viewed all these aspects of putting something out there and making something as an opportunity to to do something fun or cool. Yeah. So, you know, if we're putting a instrument out, it's got to have a video. Yeah. So it's an opportunity to come up with a, a cool and fun video to do. And, and usually a lot of those videos, like the animations you mentioned were made by our friend Devin Flynn. And, you know, it's an opportunity to work with someone like that. They're super talented animator and just yeah. making something cool that yeah. we're all happy with. And we made some other videos and a lot of these videos now we're making in house, which is, which is fun too. Right. But it, yeah, we don't really think too much in like, a marketing kind of way or perhaps we do we just haven't been trained in that kind of area so we, right. we it, it's mostly just you know we got to make a video to show how this thing works to show what it is so let's have fun doing that even your marketing videos feel like an art piece in a way <laughs> like you know not, not everybody's well like a lot of times they're just like showcasing blurred bouquet images of the product whereas you guys actually put out something that is inarguably weird and also kind of fun. That just seems like such a, a different way to do it. And I, you know, I, I feel like there's a lesson in there somewhere for, for marketers and things like that, that sometimes it's much better to do something honestly that is different and artistic than to like try and do something that is boring and straightforward. Yeah. Although sometimes like some, I, I shouldn't say that some of your videos are pretty straightforward. I don't mean that you're always like, out there crazy but i think it's just kind of trying to have fun with them you know yeah and a lot of the the, the organelle now is a, is a good provides all these little opportunities for videos because each patch that we come out with and and now we have um a couple of people working in house on these videos and chris does a lot of the direction of the videos and stuff and our other uh other guy chris we have a lot of chris's in the company putting the videos together and and just really have gotten good at making these awesome demo videos yeah. that, are, that are really fun to watch and beautiful at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. They're really well done. They're informative, but the production quality is really good. So not everybody who does that kind of stuff, like puts that time and effort into making that those tutorial videos, like as good as they are. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a lot of parallels to the, from the videos to the, you know, the actual physical instruments themselves, you know, right. It's a lot of the same, kind of you know ideas of just wanting to make something really nice and keep it nice and yeah keep it serious well the other funny thing is that you 
specifically have kept everything open and like for a long time you actually had kits that would make the instruments that you were selling so that people could make them at home so that the, all the designs were kind of open source but also now you have all these patches and you're not like controlling the, the website that has those patches the the patches are just out there in the world and you're just sharing them and showing people how to do it so you're not holding on to that control. You're allowing everybody else to be the ones who make that, who take that control. So it's the customers and the users and the people who are actually doing it that have the control. And it's almost like you didn't try to make a GitHub for all that to, to put it all together and control how it's disseminated. You have it out there in the world and everybody else is sort of taking control yeah. of it. So it seems like that's just kind of part of your ethos. Is that, you know, the kind of open source mindset? Is that something that you're just just a part of you? I think so. I mean, just going back to the kind of the early days of when I started doing software, it seemed like the open source was just the way to do software. Yeah. And that's just seemed more obvious to me, you know, and I think it's, it's been proven, you know, over the last 15 years that, you know, even you see these large companies adopting all the open source technology. And now it's not really a question. I mean, you know, you still have these these businesses who do proprietary software. Well, I don't know much about businesses and proprietary software and this <laughs> and that, but I do know um, that the open source stuff is really cool and it's really yeah. powerful and it's powering like, you know. Yeah, like 90% of or 90% of everything. So, yeah. so it definitely works and it's yeah. definitely the way to go. And, and but, but more specifically for a musical instrument kind of application, it's really cool because it allows people to share these musical ideas in software and, and riff off them and you know contribute to this the evolution of or whatever of this yeah this instrument so that was always a concept of the organelle yeah was having this instrument that would be kind of like you know all these people all over the place are contributing to it and it's sort of this living more yeah is that where the name organelle came from like a organelle in a cell it did a little chris came up with a name and I instantly knew that it was the perfect name because it's the, yeah, this, this kind of organism, you know, and yeah. a little bit mysterious because who knows what an organelle is anyway. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm not even sure. I just know it's you know, like, I it remember biology like or, class. Organelle, um, and uh, yeah, it's kind of organic, although, you know, yeah. no one likes that word to describe anything, but it's, uh, it's in there too. And then it's like an organ too. Yeah. And an L, it, you know, small organ. Yeah. It's just the perfect name for it. So, you know, you have you have the sound stuff, but you also have video installations too. Is that one of your new products is a video product that takes sound and turns it into like images, right? Yeah. And you were doing that a long time ago with the Dear Raindrop stuff, but then you kind of took it to another level. Yeah, the so we have the the newest version is sort of like uh the the visual version of the organelle. It's this video synthesizer that takes audio input and also musical input over MIDI, which is, you know, for um, drum machines and sequencers and uh, keyboards all use this thing called MIDI, which enables them to communicate. So you can plug that into the machine and it'll visualize all this information in different ways. So on the organelle, you have these patches that give the instrument different behaviors. And on the ETC, you have these things we call modes, and they are kind of analogous. You know, they, they visualize the sound in different ways. Right. So everything from simple kind of, you know, one-to-one -one relationships between the actual waveforms, you know, the pressure of the sound, which is, you know, the classic oscilloscope kind of right. patterns. You've seen 
to just really far out animations that and you can you can also the other thing about this is like the organelles is open source and you can program your own mode so right you know you can program a mode that just ignores the sound completely it just does the animations <laughs> right right so that could be your visualizer which is right. fine but it's a lot of fun because you can program it to do manipulate images and and just make some really crazy visuals have you seen it out there in the wild being used like in situations yeah it's definitely used in situations <laughs> musical situations that was very specific on my part but yeah, it's, <laughs> no it's, but like if for a variety of situations uh, it's in um like on stage or parties you know. and in stage yeah, yeah people definitely use it on stage yeah i mean the video stuff is tricky because you know you got to patch it into all the systems that they have it yeah i feel like a lot of people use these software programs vmdx or uh whatever it's called you know to generate the stuff yeah and uh you know i think a lot of stages and big venues are kind of set up for this it's a little bit it's a little bit more challenging than just having a, a an instrument where you're like oh just you know hook up the mic or whatever right but people are definitely using it I mean, yeah we've seen you know we've seen it projected in giant <laughs> venues yeah um so it's uh it's it's definitely exciting and yeah fun, it's very cool fun machine i remember doing like winamp in like the late 90s and yes really loving the visualizations that came along that you could kind of program these weird things to go along with the music and probably stared at that for a good number it's of really hours. what it's just winamp in a box or yeah i remember but, my neighbor was like oh yeah you, have you heard of winamp <laughs> i was like yeah it's pretty much what this is <laughs> yeah but at the same time you can change it and alter it and you know there's there's more ability to make you know, yeah and you can program customize. your own one i guess you could do that in winamp you could kind of custom you, you could kind of go deep i remember people i never really, really tried but yeah crazy it like i just remember in like it was it must have been in college or something and I, i'm sure you could program door, what's own. he doing he's, he's doing winamp <laughs> <laughs> he's just like on his like computer just yeah. like doing these winamp visuals the napster and and winamp days yeah um, so i mean that that's an interesting thing too because the the cool thing about the uh, etc is that it's a box that mm-hmm. it's something that you know you can hold in your hand whereas winamp and all that kind of stuff is on the desktop or in the computer and it doesn't feel as like personal and versatile and it doesn't feel like an instrument and also sort of with the organelle like you could do all that stuff in ableton right ableton is like the the i don't know if it's de facto but it's one of the more popular music sequencing programs out there right so do you ever think about like mixing and matching or is it something that you do to, to kind of connect to ableton or, or some of those desktop programs or? yeah well people are always connecting things up all kinds of ways and yeah. midi like i was mentioning you know is a, is a popular way to do that and it's funny though because actually not ableton ableton does you know can certainly do all kinds of stuff but um pd or pure data which is the software on the organelle that runs the patches you can just run that on your computer. So you can literally run all of any of the patches the organelle are making, you know, just on the computer. Right, right. But I think it does get back to this idea of having this box that's a little bit more uh, focused in terms of its function. Yeah. You know, so you sit down and you're like, I'm going to make music with this thing now right. and I'm, I'm not going to mess around with Ableton. But it's, it, so it is a challenge, but it's a challenge because, you know, 
the thing that makes it cool, the organelle cool, is this idea that it can run these different patches, which are really just sort of so- software apps. Yeah. You know, so it quickly becomes a very computery kind of experience. As soon as you start to like manage these patches and take them off and put them on and, right. and you want to put different sounds in different ones and then it becomes very much like a computer, the same problems you have with your computer. Yeah. So the challenge, I think, in making these types of instruments is keeping it true to the idea of playing music and not right. like these kind of file management problems we always talk about. These kind of computery kind of problems, right. you know, that are really, um, have, I think, always detracted. I, I think people who are serious about making music overcome these and they figure out their way to, to work with. But they've yeah. always been so distracting to me, you know, that... <laughs> it's worth it to design your whole whole computer yourself and put it inside a box. <laughs> you, you know, that's easier than dealing with like trying to figure out what to name folders or something. <laughs> yeah, well, I guess that's what got you here. Yeah, so, so like, I was just, just screw it. I'll just well, make but, my own computer. So you actually designed the, the user interface, right? For the org, for the organelle to like, you know, it's a very simple user Yeah, interface. the idea was like, I kind of call it a jukebox for musical instruments. You know, yeah. you just, it's like a radio. I remember yeah. being in the car and, and just, um, you know, I always look at the radio in the car and a lot of them are bad and, and some of them are okay. Yeah. But I really like this one radio in, in this rental car I had where it's just a knob and you were just like, you'd scan through the stations like a big menu. And then maybe you get to the top of the menu and there's just like the kind of system settings. Yeah. Or that might have been our idea anyway. So that you turn the organelle, it's just this big list of these patches, these apps. And then at the top of the very top of the list is some system kind of configuration kind yeah. of stuff. But keeping it simple was like, you know, that's what I was talking about. It was a key goal of the thing. Yeah. But it's since it's gotten more complicated and, you know, it's crept into that zone of, of, of um, more computery stuff. You know, we've had some awesome contributions from this guy, Mark Harris, um, who's a, a, a soft a computer music software developer. And he actually rewrote a lot of the, the UI on the organelle. Oh, I it's basically the same, yeah. but, um, but he, cause the, the, the UI itself is open source. So he improved upon it and, and he made it so you could, you know, you have subfolders so you could better organize stuff and, and really yeah. get into the, kind of file management aspect of the thing. <laughs> yeah. Which is, you know, it's important to be able to do that because people are used to thinking like that. Yeah. So it's, you know, on the one hand, like these are really important things that people, including myself, like I use all the time. But the challenge is really sort of being careful about that stuff that it doesn't turn into just a, you know, yeah, a computer. Well, it so it, it it doesn't it just it's done in such a way that it doesn't distract from the the musical. Because there's there's two parts of music. There's the the creative part where you're building music and making new music and and somehow like you're you're playing with things and and trying to to make a new song. And then there's also performing that song. So in some ways, the simpler user interface is great for just like playing around and making something weird and new and different. But then when you go to perform something, you have to do it real quick and, and you know, sequentially so that you know, okay, right, I'm going to go right. here. So it's almost like, it's almost like you can use the same, in, you can use the same actual physical instrument, but have two different interfaces to kind of 
jog both parts of your yeah, mind. Yeah, I think that's that. a good way of putting the problem, the challenge, you know. Yeah. And I think we've always come from the experimental side, usually just because we've, you know, that's <laughs> never have the opportunity to have an actual gig. <laughs> anyone would want to have us play. <laughs> it was, uh, you know, uh, it, it was mostly let's let's see how to design this thing in such a way that you can just bring up as much crazy stuff and, yeah, you know, kickstart as many musical ideas as quickly as possible. Right. But then, yeah, thinking about you know how to use it in performance is 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 like a whole nother thing and it gets it does get kind of complicated you know trying to do both of those right it's kind of what's nice about it being open source is that you can yeah yeah, yeah. you know it, it has been and and the same guy who made this um interface he made this great system where you can actually you know repatch the thing sort of on the device you can actually string together you can modulize the patches so that you could string them together and make more complicated patches oh right right on the device itself without having to, you know, program it. Sort of like, I mean, that's what you do in Ableton or, or those Right, kind of yeah, exactly. You say, yeah. oh, I want to hook up this sequencer to this drum machine yeah. and this synthesizer and then I'll run it all through this effect. Right. So he designed this thing that, so the, the, the organelle has these patches that do a sequencer and it does a drum machine and it does an effect, but it might not do them all at the same time. So he made these into actual like software modules inside Pure Data and then built this kind of framework around it so you could actually, using the organelle itself, you could select sequencer drum machine into effect and make these chains of things. That, so that is when it, it does start to become, you know, a very um, powerful thing, more like an Ableton kind of thing. And well, also brings up a lot of questions of how do you, you know, how do you use this in performance? Because we got to have, got to be able to do that in the most efficient way. And, right. But he solved a lot of those problems, so we're, um, you know, we've been working together on making it, you know, making it even better because it's a very powerful idea to be able. Yeah. To. Well, it's it's kind of like what what did you think when this guy suddenly you, you see online that you have like a new user interface for your your own device? Oh yeah, I was totally blown away. I mean, it was so awesome to be able to, you know, have this guy working on the yeah on the stuff. It was just like. A, just because he really liked the product. Yeah, yeah. And it was, uh, yeah, it was sort of a dream come true because it's yeah. like we'd been doing this open source stuff for a while, but it wasn't until we really had that kind of built the whole organelle and built a kind of community and kind of built, made, kind of hollowed out this space, you know, and people started coming in. And, you yeah. Know, a lot of people have made some awesome patches and stuff. So what does the community look like? Like are, what websites are the ones that really disseminate this? Well, we have our website, things? which is... Um, we host a, an online forum, like a community forum, where people post um, questions and discussions and stuff. So that's where a lot of the kind of discussing happens. But then there's two sites. There's our site where we host the patches that come when you buy an organelle. It comes with a set of patches, uh -huh. the kind of so-called factory patches. And we host all those patches. There's about 50 or 100, <laughs> maybe about <laughs> 70. Yeah patches and we host those but then there's a, another pat, patch site called patch storage which is actually a project that launched about the same time as the organelle and that has many hundreds of patches that other people have made for mm -hmm. the organelle it also hosts patches for other devices and other um, platforms you know similar instruments to the mm -hmm. organelle and also software only patches you know it's kind right. of a so you go to patch storage and you choose you can choose different platforms or devices and one of them is the organelle. So you yeah. go into the organelle space and there's you know all these patches by community members. So that's where people are able to upload their patches. Okay. So, so it's not controlled, you know, by us. It's an right. open kind of 
did you want to control it at all or were you kind of happy to have somebody else do that i think we were happy yeah you know i i was thinking i would have to build our own yeah because but then right when we released the organelle they just released this thing and asked us if they wanted to you know host the patches there and you know what i would have made is pretty much the same as what they had already made so right it was a natural fit yeah yeah i mean in terms of the other reason to have it yourself is to kind of be able to curate them and control them but I think we decided, you know, there needs to be a space where people can just share the stuff no matter whether it works or not or yeah. no matter what. You know, I guess the, the the comparison is kind of like the Apple store versus maybe the Android store versus maybe, you know, I don't even know anymore. You just know, like download.com. Linux, or, yeah, yeah, where you yeah. can just run any program. Right. But Apple is like, you know, they're literally like, you know, vetting the, the apps to make sure they're high enough quality. Right. And Android's a little bit more free. You know, it's like they have a pretty strong um, kind of uh, security. And well, I don't know anything about Android security. <laughs> just talking about this shit like I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Anyway, the yeah, Android, Android apps are a bit, you know, I, I feel like there's not as much kind of... Um, there's not a single kind of entity or maybe yeah. there is they're doing maybe security reviews but anyway the apps are there's many more of them and they're not yeah. as up to the same like high standards you know that was an idea to make it kind of like apple computer and kind of like people could submit apps and maybe even sell them and mm-hmm. but you know we were just like no that's not the cool that's just like well, the other- we'll let the community do that because this is supposed to be a diy kind of music project where people are creating stuff and it's supposed to be as you know at the end of the day, I guess it's what is to say someone, some people like these patches that just like might not even work and they just are highly experimental and you have to tweak the knobs and you, maybe there's one little position where you get these amazing sounds out of them. Yeah. And, you know, we might say, oh, this thing's just broken, but someone else might say, oh, this thing is glorious. So it's like a more of an artistic question. So we decided early on, it was just like, no, we, there needs to be a space where people can just share patches and do whatever they want. Yeah. And, and it was cool that there's one that we don't even have any control over. That's that now is pretty popular for doing that. And if you tried to make your own and this other one was more popular then people would get confused as to where they yeah, go. And then and, it gets you know, confusing. And, yeah. And so, so it, I mean, it's fine for now. Yeah. Know? Because, I mean, this this other one would have happened anyway because it's all open source. And so it's like... Right, it would have you know. <laughs> Yeah. So we do have the one where we still maintain ours where we have the patches that we've made ourselves just because we kind of, you know, we officially... You know, if someone gets the organelle who's not into patching it themselves yeah. or not interested in experimenting with even downloading patches... Um, we still have to kind of back the ones that are on right. the device and, and right. able to be able to answer questions about them and support them. So right. we that's why we maintain this one um, factory repository where we have, you know, those are the officially supported patches right. for the organelle. So <laughs> one thing you mentioned earlier, which was uh, something I've been interested in, because actually the, the music that I'm using for the podcast is sort of AI-generated uh it's oh, cool. a deep neural net kind of generated music um it's called juke deck oh uh, cool it is kind of cool but i mean so you were talking about like ai and that kind of stuff is that something that you're thinking about or interested in or just kind of is cool right now <laughs> it's just cool it is cool right now <laughs> it's, um, 
but it's always been like you know getting back to the cellular automata stuff you know yeah uh, um it's always been pretty cool idea of you of, of getting the machine to generate weird stuff for you yeah and then when you're able to yeah the the uh you know it's gotten to a point now where you can pretty easily start playing around with this stuff so i've been trying to get my feet wet with it in the, the you know in my spare time but the uh the idea of being able to train the machine on, you know, sets of information and have it kind of regurgitate stuff is just like a really, a really crazy and awesome thing to play around with. It is pretty crazy because there's a, there's a few different companies out there that are doing it and it's like, they're good. <laughs> they, they are really, it's impressive what they're able to do. Uh, and I'm sure there are different types of, you know, there's a, there's different types of neural nets out there and different types of heuristic learning and there's different types of, you know, algorithms and, and how all that fits together. I'm sure that it's not just like, okay, here's this neural net. It, there's There's got to be rules-based stuff. And But like the, the juke deck stuff, I listen to them like it's better than any of the other free music that I could get. Mm-hmm. I feel like I should play some for you because it's like it's like really impressive um, sound and like it sounds like a band did it like it, it's got like regular like uh, ukuleles and, and claps <laughs> yeah. and stuff. Yeah, I um, I think it's just like the speech stuff we were talking about. You know, synthesizing yeah. people's voices, saying things that they didn't say. Yeah, uh, I think it's right on the cusp of just you know music will be synthesized and we won't even be able to tell the difference and people, I bet you can always tell the difference, but you know, I say that, but I'm like, well, but also it doesn't really matter because it, 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 you know, people will always be able to tell the difference between, you know, what's a, what's a, a cool thing and, and what's a meaningful thing, at least to them. Right. It might not matter if it's, if it's generated by a, AI or not, someone pressed a button, someone programmed the train, the AI right. and someone hit the button and somebody someone chose the, to keep that one or throw it away. Yeah. Someone chose to keep that one or throw away. Someone chose the training set, you know? Yeah. So it's, it's sort of like a, I don't know. That question is, I'm it's, talking about a question you didn't really ask. It's <laughs> a question that always comes up with it. You know, it's like, Oh, you know, it's, this is, this is terrible. They're, the no. AI will replace the, but I think it's a, it's a very interesting kind of time to be, yeah. These questions will come up with a kind of new reverence. I think now that the, the AI, AI is getting, getting so insane. Well, from my, you know, for what I was doing, I was looking for music, and then I, I had heard about this site, and the, you know, there are other ones that you could do, but. I was looking for music that worked for what I was doing because I wanted it to be a certain length and I wanted it to have like a crescendo at a certain point. And I couldn't find music like that. No, like no matter how hard I looked in the, like the kind of uh, free license or, or, you know, cheap license music, I couldn't find what I wanted. Mm-hmm. And so I would have had to like hire a composer. And I think yeah. if I was, you know, I, that I could have done that. And had I wanted to go that route, that would have been somebody's job that they would then have some money to be able to do their composing work. But it's a lot of money to to hire somebody who could actually do something to the quality that I wanted. Whereas this was actually like literally free with attribution. So 
all I have to do is at the end of the podcast say our music was provided by jukedeck.com and then that's like I get free music that mm-hmm. is kind of perfect for what I need. And it's like, wait, so did I just take somebody's job or are these people who program this thing now the new musicians in a way? Like the people who programmed Juke Deck, they have jobs. So it's it's like, I don't know. If, yeah, right. If, I mean, what is the moral quandary about that? Like, I don't know. It's weird because I think there's still going to be musicians. And actually there's a musician right now that it made an album that was all based on algorithmically generated music. Right. I forget what her name is. I should look that up, but (laughs) she, she actually just put out an album like a month ago that is all algorithmically generated. And she, she wrote the lyrics and everything and, and, you know, sang and did the, but it's performed. The music is, is, is played on instruments after it was generated or the sound itself is generated. Just a little bit of both. Mm-hmm. Um, I gotta look it up. All right, uh, I'll figure that out. Um, but you know, just the idea that now people who don't have a musical background like me can have music that fits exactly what they wanted, um, and it's really good quality. It's it's almost it's almost uh, like beautiful that somebody was able to program the system that can do this stuff without. A person and it's a like i the the juke deck actually has like an open api so that you could actually like if you wanted to you could probably program an organelle to access that api right and just kind and of then make, just kind of like as opposed to going to a website you could just do it yeah on the organelle so i mean that's one of the great things about the organelle is that it kind of can do anything if you were to program it yeah yeah, we tried trying to get into kind of weird stuff. I had it like like sending Twitter messages out and stuff like that, <laughs> which is some some funny stuff. Because yeah. you can actually, yeah, you can post to Twitter with like with SoundClip or something, so you can play some sound and then post it, hit a button and it like shoots it up on Twitter. That makes you, a lot of if sense. If you were so inclined, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. <laughs> <laughs> do people do that? Do you know? I don't. No, no. I I'm just doing it for fun. Oh. I didn't make a patch. I, I was going to make it into a patch, but it's just kind of like it's not really that hard. You just have to put like some your Twitter um, key or password or something. Yeah, on there somewhere in the patch, and then it'll um, and it has to be connected, you know, to the network too. Yeah. But the organ is Wi-Fi, so yeah, you can do that pretty easily. And uh, yeah, but also grabbing, you know, connecting to the cloud and getting AI generated music. Yeah, I don't know. I don't see, <laughs> see a problem with that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's. I mean, there's so much. There's so much stuff out there that is kind of open and like it's kind of a great time to be in music too. Like, I think in some ways, music has made real changes that now like electronic dance music and stuff sounds absolutely nothing like anything that anybody had heard 10 years ago. Not to say it's better or worse, but like, you know, you hear certain like dubstep as the, the kind of goofy example, but there's stuff that just the sounds of it are totally new and different and like kind of unique. Is that something like, did you expect that music would take the kind of weird electric turn that it has taken or is that just something that you've been along for the ride? Yeah, I guess it is kind of surprising when I think about it 
in those terms because I was always just making, you know, the electronic music was always just what I was doing. Yeah. You know, but it was, it's also very, very different from the kind of music that people are making more popularly <laughs> EDM and, yeah. you know, these kinds of sounds. So it is crazy to think about these, you know, like yeah, <laughs> the dub bro step, just yeah. guys like you know, playing around with like granular synthesizers and FM synthesizers and all this stuff, you know, that was kind of like sort of in a more academic realm. Yeah, twenty years ago or whatever. So it is pretty trippy, but at the same time, it is kind of like obvious that that would happen because it's just like those sounds are so you know like those the sounds are sort of did what they what the ai is doing on a musical level the these software programs kind of did on an instrument level you know you didn't need a group of musicians anymore right to realize a track you just needed a laptop and like you know a program like ableton yeah to make uh a whole song right well, it's and fun. it's yeah, with the computer, you know, it's just like that's obviously going to happen. But it has been crazy to like you know, listen to the actual sound. Yeah, you're like wow, this is this is happening. <laughs> this is really happening. Yeah. Well, I mean, I I don't know as much as you about FM synthesizers and things like that. But you, you when you hear how they created that music, they did take really rudimentary sounds. Or I don't know about everybody, but um, a lot of. Uh, musicians take really rudimentary sounds and then build it up into this kind of soundscape that is just crazy and incredible. Uh, I'm trying to think of, I wish I, I, I had just listened to uh, Song Exploder. Do you, do you know that podcast? Oh, yes, yes. Um, I do know that podcast. It's like, it's a, it's a podcast where they take uh, a song and they deconstruct it and talk about how like it came to be and take every part and actually they take the tracks apart so you just hear like the bass and you just hear the piano part or something and then they they just say oh here's here's why i made the piano part that way here's why right yeah and here and like and it was uh this kind of crazy fm synthesizer that made me think of this john hopkins the john hopkins episode of that podcast he's like a he's a electronic musician but he's also a pianist mm-hmm. um and he just makes these very like ethereal i mean in the in the episode he was talking about he was talking about like taking mushrooms and how that influenced his stuff so it was very like oh. <laughs> like dreamy and ethereal but the way that he built up sound was very cool like where he he's like okay it started with this um like very simple synthesizer and then uh, he just messed it up really bad, like really like messed with the sound to make this very ugly sound mm-hmm. and then put that in the background to create a soundscape and then built a bunch of stuff over yeah, top of it. Yeah, right. So it's kind of, <laughs> I'm talking a lot, but <laughs> like just the, the idea of how musicians actually take these tools and create something awesome out of it. Have you worked with musicians much to like make that kind of stuff happen? You You sort of work at the computer making the patches, but have you been sort of face-to-face producing at all to, to make no, that No, not really. Stuff? You know, yeah. and we kind of work with musicians a little bit, but, you know, everyone has their own language and their own kind of way of working. Yeah. That in a way, it's just like, you know, unless you're making music with them, it's kind of hard to, to kind of 
it's it maybe it's just challenging to kind of get get in there and i remember with the organelle early we were like oh we're going to work with like musicians and maybe once a month we'll like work with a musician and and build a patch for them yeah and you know everyone and then we started trying to do that a little bit but realizing that everyone kind of approaches the instrument differently they approach every instrument differently and the the way of you know that they make songs and the way they make tracks you know it's like a very personal kind of um experience so it's kind of like to do this you have to really get on their level and you know i think this is why when people make music together they often do that for a long time because yeah. it, it probably takes a while to to really get to know someone musically in their processes especially especially if those processes are intricate and complicated so it was sort of, you know, ended up being easier to just <laughs> say, screw that. We're just going to make them, you know, by our processes. Yeah. And we have a lot of experience making them because we've been making patches, you know, even before the organelle. Yeah. Know, on different systems for for our whole, you know, the whole time we've been doing this. So we're just going to keep doing what we do yeah. and, and make these things. And, and but more yeah I mean recently I've been trying to think about how these fit these things really fit together in kind of a, a bigger musical kind of level you know a, a multi-layer kind of level mm-hmm. the, the instruments have been very kind of uh, singular in, t- in terms of the, the sound you know they're kind of this this one sound and the, the organelle we had this uh, possibility to make you know multi-layered kind of uh, things happening because you can have program it to do whatever you want so you could have it programming program it to do five different instruments but the patches we've always made have still been mostly single layer kind of instrument patches and i think that's still the way i like it but i've been trying to think of a way to build the organelle out into a more orchestral kind of like Mm. scenario you know where you're actually um you know putting these pieces together on a bigger level yeah, and getting excited about doing that, but not doing it inside the organelle, but doing it with many organelles. So not like with um, building an organelle patch, but building this kind of framework for many organelles, kind of working together. Yeah, and um, it's just a matter of uh, the the organelle. Where um, we want to build is, you know, would have a speaker and kind of um, sort of more like the collider loop. So it can generate its own sound. And then Mm -hmm. we can have them kind of all over the room doing their thing, which is kind of step one to spatialize the instrument, you know, make it into an actual sound source itself. Yeah. And then step two is make these pieces um, a little bit aware that they're part of something bigger. And, you know, the, the most trivial way of doing that is is having them remember, you know, what they're doing. So I just imagine setting up these things, this sound and say, okay, like everyone, everyone being all the organelles. Right. You know, so the organelle is kind of, it, it's become more less of the the um, musical instrument itself, but and, and more of like a musical mind. Like it's an inst- it's like a musician plus the instrument. Yeah, you know, it's an actual. It, it it it's like, and a lot of the patches are already doing that. You know, they're right. choosing the notes to play with some input. You know, you kind of shove them along a little bit. Right. And but then they play them themselves. I mean, the simplest example is like an arpeggiator where you just hold down the keys and. It, plays itself right but we have you know these generative patches where you just turn them on and they start making sound right yeah. so this is it's it's gone from 
being an instrument where you're just hitting a button and getting a sound out, you know, an instrument that requires a human to play yeah. to an instrument that's kind of coupled with its own musical mind. So anyway, right. so you, you get a bunch of these musical minds and get them around the room and then you conduct them, you know. So that's the next step is to build a, a system by which you can conduct these right. instruments. And we have a kind of, we have some of the pieces working. We have this cool thing, which is actually, um, you asked about interfacing with Ableton and programs like that earlier. And they invented this cool um, wireless program or protocol, which enables any instrument on a Wi-Fi network to synchronize their tempos. And it works really, really well. Yeah. And we built that into the organelle. I mean, it's just a... A PD object that we that someone wrote that that works, and so we, any organelle patch that has a, a an idea of tempo, you know, arpeggiator or sequencer, or generative thing, yeah, we can just add this functionality, and then every organelle in the room that's attached to the network will be synchronized, you yeah. know. So that's one of the components, you know, having this these instruments be um, kind of temporally aware. So you could have you could have different people playing different instruments, or you could just have them. You could on have their them play own. on their own. Yeah. yeah, I mean, people could be playing them and like you know, playing sequencers or, or arpeggiators, and those will all be and you know be on the same synced. clock. Yeah. yeah, it works great. It was originally, I think, made for apps. Uh-huh. You know, so it's built into like most uh, iPhone apps. Oh, that, okay. Or like little beat generators, or you know sequencers. So iPhone so. apps, so people can have their. You know, you can have one running one, all running one, and then we have Ableton running on that machine. And how do we synchronize them all, which was the problem. Yeah. And so they made this thing. So it synchronizes them all if they're all on the same network. So that's cool. But then, you know, how do you start and stop them? I think they actually just added like start and stop kind of the idea of start and stop to this. Mm -hmm. But also, you know, you want to be able to exchange more information. So, you know, I don't know, starting to think about like, how would how do you put together a song? And this might get be where it kind of gets interesting, you know. Yeah. Sort of, you'd be like you, you know, stop playing or you keep doing that. Like, oh, I like doing that. I like yeah. what you hear. So there's a basic mechanism there, like you're kind of curating this sound. Right. So you could maybe if if something's happening that sounds cool, you could say, okay, everyone, remember what you're doing. Right. I'm sorry, I'm looking something up because I. Uh, so that's sort of step two is is to figure out a way to conduct these um, instruments. Yeah, I, I mean there there are people who kind of do um, that that have interfaces that that almost look like conducting, where it's like a glove that will you know like have yeah. some kind of. Uh, I I actually know somebody who does that, but I I mean no somewhat change actually we we uh, did a hackathon together. And I will get his name and put it in the show notes because I I uh, will figure that out. But um, that you know there are people who actually like you know make a performance out of that kind of conducting a digital instrument, um, and then to hook that up to the to the organelle becomes like a another like now you're conducting actual instruments almost like a orchestra. Yeah, um, that's very cool. I think you know he had this thing where he th- there was like a um, proximity sensor that he also had like yeah i uh, think you were telling me about this at one yeah. point possibly i'll get you his name uh <laughs> cool cool yeah i mean so so i guess we talked a lot about like um what's next like do you do you see other instruments being next or 
you know, because the organelle in a way is like this real uh, incredible machine that can do like 10 million things. So it's hard to um, get to the next step on it. So what would the next step look like? Yeah, it has been a little bit of a challenge because we mostly after making the organelle, you know, we got really into making patches for it. And yeah. Kind of distracted by it in a way. So... We were working on a bunch of stuff. I can't really talk specifically about what we're having the in the oh, works. Oh, that's okay. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, the big idea, yeah, for me is what I really just mentioned: this idea of of, of putting them together in yeah. in in a, in a bigger kind of arena, you know, a bigger orchestra, an orchestra yeah. of organelles. Yeah, and I think there's some, you know, there's some interesting um, if we interesting problems to think about and and solve there. Right, that might lead to some some cool new devices or whatever. But um, yeah, the organelle, it's a, it's a challenge because it does, you know, especially now with a lot of patches, you know, you can't really change the hardware up too much. Yeah. You know, we're always like, oh, I wish there's another knob or I wish there's another, you know, so if you make a new version that, you know, you have to ask carefully, is this going to be backwards compatible with all these other patches right, or is this right. going to break it? Right. You know, so this is a constant question that became... I think when we first came out with it, we didn't really anticipate, you know, the complexities there. Yeah. Um, but okay. at the same time, you know, just keep making cool stuff, I think, is the <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's what we have to do. Totally. Well, I think that's the best place to probably stop <laughs> just making cool stuff. That's Excellent. Right. Yeah. All right. Thank you, Owen. I, I... <laughs> that was a lot of fun. I yeah. Really, thanks a lot. I like sitting down and talking, so thanks. <laughs> that's our show. I'd like to thank our guest, Owen Osborne, for joining us. You can find Owen at CritterInGuitari.com and on Twitter at CritterGuitari. Guitari is spelled G-U-I-T-A-R-I. I'd like to thank our sponsor, Green Lane Design. Remember to mention the Good Data Podcast to get that free assessment. That helps everybody. Our music is algorithmically created by Juke Deck, which is pretty amazing. Try it yourself. Uh, visit jukedeck.com. For good data, I'm Drew Farnsworth. Talk to you next time on the podcast.